Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. John chapter 12. And most of us here today are believers in Jesus Christ. And so I need to ask today, I want to ask, what's your attitude about that? What's your attitude toward being a Christian? Because how you see your Christianity is how you're going to live it out. In John chapter 12, a couple of Greek guys, Gentile converts, asked to follow Jesus. And his answer is very interesting. Really, it is no direct answer to these guys, but what he says is very interesting. But first, you have to pretend a little bit, and you've got to pretend you're Jewish, and you're living back in Israel, the land of Israel, in Jesus' time. And about three, if you know your history, about 300 years ago, remember, you're a Jew living in Palestine way back then, or Israel way back then. And about 300, 300 years ago, the Roman general Pompey came in and just ran over your land. And the Romans occupied your land, and now you pay sky-high taxes, not to your own government, but to the Roman government. And when you go shopping, there's a soldier every 100 yards. And, and, and your king is Caesar. And if you're a Jew, you worship Jehovah God, and they say Caesar is your king. And so that's all, that's all very difficult for you. And most of your young life, you went to synagogue school, and your rabbis taught you the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. They taught you this. I mean, you were raised with this. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up to David, that's Israel, a righteous branch, that's the Messiah, a king who will reign wisely and do what's just and right in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved. All Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which you'll be called, the Lord, our righteousness. And so you expected your Messiah to be someone like Pompey and come in with an army, drive out the Romans, and establish a kingdom of peace, prosperity, and safety. And according to everything you learn from the time you were a kid, when this Messiah comes, man, your life is going to be so good. Everything's going to be cool. Well, here's what your rabbi didn't teach you. He didn't teach you something else about the Messiah. And this is in Isaiah chapter 53, and this is verse 3. That he, the Messiah, before he ever set up this beautiful kingdom, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with grief. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is dumb or silent, so he opened not his mouth. Before the Messiah would establish a kingdom of peace and safety where everybody loves each other and everything's cool, he would be that, despised, rejected, oppressed, afflicted, not defending himself like a sheep before its shearers is silent. See, and you never learned that. You never learned that. You had this glorious picture of what this... Messiah was going to do. Well, in John chapter 12, that's the word of God we're looking at today. In John chapter 12 and verse 20, we read this. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast of the Passover. And Greeks means Gentile proselytes, Gentiles who accepted Judaism and the God of the Jews. And they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And this is a couple of days before a crowd, you got to understand this too, a couple of days before a crowd would come to the Garden of Gethsemane and apprehend Jesus and take him to Annas, 
the former high priest, first trial, second trial, Caiaphas, the reigning high priest, and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and then a cross. And so verse 21 of John 12, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, sir, they said to Philip, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn went to tell Jesus. You got a couple of Greek guys, converts, who want to come and see you, okay? And as I read the commentaries, it says we want to see Jesus, and the commentaries tell us that means we want to follow Jesus. We want to become his disciple. So, so really, this is talking about what discipleship involves or what being a Christian involves. They probably didn't want to be part of the 12 disciples, but just follow Jesus, travel with them, listen to him, teach, be where he is. So Philip finds Andrew, and together they come to Jesus, and they say there's a couple of Gentile proselytes or converts who want to talk with you about being a disciple. Now remember, Jesus to them is Pompey. He is the guy who's going to raise an army, drive out the Romans, and bring peace and prosperity. Now, this is good. Listen to the answer. They said, we want to follow Jesus. We want to be disciples. In our days, we'd say we want, in our day, we'd say we want to be Christians, okay? And Jesus doesn't say, sure, bring them to me. He doesn't say, hey, you guys have made the right decision to follow me. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't even answer their question directly. Here's what he does say. Philip and Andrew, go tell these guys. Verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How is he going to be glorified? By death. This was Wednesday of Passion Week. His death was less than 48 hours away. The hour, his time had come. Now listen, this is in response to these Gentile converts who want to become disciples. He says in verse 24, and this is the key verse in this message today, John 12, 24. I tell you the truth. See, he never answered these guys directly. They say we want to be his disciples. We want to be his followers. And he says in verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now look at this. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where, am I, where I am, my servant will also be. And my father, my father will honor the one who serves me. What did he just say? He just said, be ready to die. He was talking about his own death. He said, unless I die, nobody benefits but when I die, there's going to be far-reaching, tremendous blessings for a whole lot of people. But he says, but I got to die first. He says, forget this Pompeii nonsense. That's not my style. That's not what I'm going to do. And then he compared himself and all who wanted to be his disciples to a single seed. And this is a great analogy. He says that seed has to fall to the ground. And the weather has to break it down, break, up, break its outer shell. Then it sinks into the soil and it grows and it produces something really good. It multiplies itself, but first it's got to die first. And Jesus is saying, there's a hostile world to me out there. And all you people who want to be my followers, all you people who call yourself Christian, are you willing to die? Do you love your life so much you'll deny me or compromise your belief? He says you got to hate your life. That's a very strong way of saying you got to be you got to be ready to die if that's what I ask you to do. And you got to be willing to stand your ground for me and not compromise what you believe. Now here's how I apply this all to my own life. I have to learn to die to self. I'm that single seed. Think about this. If I or we don't somehow die, and for us that would be death to self, you know, we're not effective with our lives. 
We have to learn to die to self or else we're going to be very ineffective with our lives as Christian people. If I don't learn to die to self, I'm not, I, listen, folks, I, I'm not going to effect a whole lot of people. I'm not going to change the world God put me in. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, Jesus, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But listen to this. If it dies, it produces many, many seeds. And if I don't die, I'm not making many people consider the infinite value of being a Christian. I'm not blessing a lot of people. And so our attitude, and this is about attitude toward being a Christian, is this. It is a call to die to self. That's what Christ says. I mean, these Gentile converts say to him, we want to be a disciple of Jesus. We want to see him. We want to follow him. He says, okay, guys, you've got to be that colonel. You've got to learn to die to self. This is about our attitude toward being a Christian. Definition of a Christian. One who trusts in Christ alone, not himself, not his religion, nothing but Christ for eternal life, and then lives according to the word of God. Let me just say that again. Here's what a true Christian is. This is the biblical definition of a Christian. One who trusts Christ alone alone, not himself, nothing else for eternal life. And then as an outgrowth of that faith lives according to the word of God, and it is a calling to be a believer. I'm looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, Because from the beginning, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth, he called you. Look at that, verse 14. He called you. See, you are called to be a believer. And if you're not a believer, I want to tell you something. The call is still out there for you. The day is coming, okay? He called you to this through our gospel. That's how he called you, that you might, here's why he called you, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's something else. Not everybody is a Christian. Not everybody is a believer. 2 Corinthians 3. I mean, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 2. Paul says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, because not everybody to this point has faith. So he called you by the gospel. At a point in time, the Father sent the Holy Spirit into your heart, and the Holy Spirit changed your heart. He made you believe something. The Holy Spirit worked in your heart and led you to believe something that the rest of the world thinks is crazy. The Holy Spirit led you to believe that a man who died on the cross 2,000 years ago and he died a criminal's death, is somehow your Savior, and that death was for you, and that his blood covers your sins, and that the Father in heaven accepts you as his own forever through Jesus Christ, and that there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. And that makes no sense whatsoever to an unsaved mind. Absolutely no sense whatsoever. And you believe that. And you submit to that, and you surrender to that. The Spirit did that in you. And not everyone accepts the gospel like you did. And that should, listen, folks, that should make you put your hands over your face and just cry and say, thank you, Lord. I mean, do you ever do that? I mean, you are called to that. I mean, the Spirit of God worked it in your heart that you believe that message that is so foolish to an unsaved mind. And you know where you're headed with your life. You know you're going to be in heaven with him forever. And man, that should just lead you to humble yourself before God and even weep and say, thank you, Lord. Do you ever do that? See, that's what motivates you and me to die to self. That's my motivation. And that's all attitude. I mean, he called me. And when he calls me, he empowers me to be a believer. I can die to myself. God would not, God's not dumb. He's all wise. When he calls you to be a believer, when he calls you into the Christian faith, he gives you, he gives you, he, he empowers you 
He gives you what you need to die to self. It's an attitude of gratitude. You tell yourself, I have the greatest treasure in life. See, your faith in Jesus Christ is more precious to you. It's more precious than anything you own, more precious than anything you value, or it should be. More precious than the people in your life, more precious than your kids, your husband, your wife, your mom, or your dad. And we need to think like that. That's how you need to think. That's your attitude toward being a Christian. Belonging to him has tremendous blessings, and we're going to look at a few. But he also demands something of me. Back to John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And you're telling yourself, this is your attitude toward being a Christian. You're, you're, you're telling yourself, look at the effect that I'm going to have on other people. Look how my life will bless others. Uh, look at the difference I'm going to make. It's going to be enormous. Now, dying to self is tough. Here's what it means. Here's what dying to self means. You're training yourself and you're praying about this all the time in every area of your life to think, and this is attitude. This is attitude. I'm not first. And this is hard. This is really hard. You discipline yourself. You train yourself. And you tell, I am not first. I mean, you got to look at Philippians chapter 2. As I read this, I need to say, I didn't write this. God wrote this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of, out of, out of vain, a selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Then verse 4. Each of you should look, listen to this, not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And man, that's how you die to self. You practice that, you practice that, you pra over and over and over and over until it becomes a way of life, until it becomes an attitude. An attitude is almost a way of life. See, it's how you see your Christian faith. You see yourself. This is how you see yourself. This is attitude. You see, and I'm working on this, man. You see yourself as a single seed that won't produce any fruit till you die. Next time you're in a circumstance like that and you've got to die to self, you say, man, i got to die first before I produce many seeds. You just think like that, see? I mean, it's every circumstance, every conversation. Now, does that mean you don't think about your own needs? Of course not. God doesn't expect that. Of course you have to. I mean, you need to take care of your health, other people. Your body needs rest. There's stuff you enjoy doing. But the bottom line is this. This is part of what Christianity is. Your own personal needs are diminished. And the Spirit works this in you. And I'll tell you where you get to, and man, this gets so good. I mean, your greatest joy becomes seeing all those other seeds produce because you died to self. Your greatest joy is in serving others and meeting their needs and blessing them. You're developing a way of life. It's all attitude. It's dying to self. Well, let me ask this. Has anybody ever misinterpreted something you said? They misquote you, see. And then they say all kind of negative things about you to other people. Oh, so-and-so said this. And you never meant it that way. And you're hurt or offended. And these people never talk to you and ask you what you meant before they blabbed it all over. Have you ever been um, cut off by somebody you cared about? Or how about broken promises? Oh, yeah, I'll take care of this. Sure, we'll do that. Count on it. Or how about somebody who just plain ignores you? 
I mean, you walk by them and their face is straight ahead. They won't even look you in the eye. Their nose is in a snit and they think they're so superior to you. What does a true Christian do? And we're talking about your attitude toward Christianity. How do you react to that? The Apostle Paul, who lived around 60 AD, he was very successful. And he started all these thriving congregations. But there were false teachers roaming around too. And they said, ah, oh, don't listen to Paul. He's not a real apostle. Don't listen to Paul. Um, listen to us. He doesn't speak the truth. We speak the truth. He doesn't care about you. He has ulterior motives. All he wants is your money. All he wants is big numbers and so on and so forth, see. And the people in the Corinthian church to whom Paul writes, I mean, they were believing all this nonsense. Now, here's how Paul fights that battle about people talking about him, about people saying all this stuff about him. See, here's how he fights that battle. This is 2 Corinthians chapter... 10, verses 3 and 4. Now we're talking about your attitude toward being a Christian. 1 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we live in the world, Paul says, we do not wage war as the world does. This is how Christians wage war. This is your attitude toward your Christianity, see? For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. He says, the, whip, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. He says, on the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, here's what that means, man. You don't get nastier. You don't think of ways to get back. The weapons we fight with are different than the weapons unsaved people fight with. Our weapons have divine power to bring down strongholds and fortresses. We have God's word. That's first. We have God's word. That's our weapon, see? I mean, how is, how is God's word a weapon? We act according to this word, see? That's our weapon. And then you've got another weapon. We pray for these people. These are our weapons. I mean, you think being a Christian is a cakewalk, then you don't want to look at Luke chapter 6. Our attitude toward Christianity, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now listen, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And let me quote the King James there. Bless those who curse you and pray for those people who despitefully despitefully, despitefully use you and persecute you. And folks, I need grace to do that. I cannot do that in my own strength. You pray for those people. That's one of your weapons, man. You ask God to bless them. And if you ever have opportunity to bless their lives, I'm talking about broken promises. I'm talking about people who look down their face at you. I'm talking about people who talk about you. I mean, if you ever have opportunity to bless their lives, no matter what they've done to you, you do it. That's how we wage war. And those are weapons. And that's not easy. And that takes grace. We don't fight our battles like the rest of the world. And that is death to self. That's who we are. You see yourself as a Christian, as that single seed that's got to die to produce a crop. This is all about attitude. Look at John 12 again, 27 and 28. Jesus says, now my heart is troubled. This is one of my strongest favorite passages in the New Testament. Jesus says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
God, I got to face this thing. Why don't I say, Father, just take me back to heaven. Save me from this hour. No, look at that emphatic no. It was for this very reason, King James says cause, for this very cause, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I mean, this is good stuff. I love this. The Bible says it like this. His hour had come. He was about to face not just physical pain, folks, but the inner anguish, the horror of our sin in his holy body. You, you can't understand that. Unless you're Jesus, you could, I try and get into this. Unless you're Christ, you cannot understand. Holy, without sin, you can't understand what it means to have everybody's sin in your body. And he would experience the horror of his father, whom he loved with a perfect love, pouring out his wrath against sin, not on you and me, but on him. Nobody ever faced a trial like that, ever, 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 ever. And he says, my heart is troubled. And Jesus says, shall I ask my father to save me from this anguish? And then this emphatic, no, for this reason or cause, I came into the world, so father, glorify your name. Folks, we face stuff. I don't want to face stuff. See, sometimes we'd like to just bury these things. That you have to do like that. And, and pretend, I don't have to deal with them. I mean, you, you, you do that. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, who do you need to see? I mean, it's just waiting there. I mean, what do you need to face? Are you telling yourself this isn't there or this isn't really a big deal? See, that's called denial. I mean, maybe someone that you love is, is, is in the slow process of dying, and, and you're not accepting that, and you're going to have to live without them. And it's tough. When I had serious differences with people I had to be with all the time, and I mean these were serious differences. These weren't just minor differences. They were philosophical deep differences. As long as we kept our, our conversation on the surface, see, and we talked about the weather, sports, and our families, we survived. We got along. In fact, we got along great. But the differences were still there, and I knew it, and we had to face these things, and we had to resolve these things. And we were just kind of burying these things as if they, as if they weren't real, see. This is real. That's what you say. This is life. And your attitude for being a Christian should be, and it can be, you know, I don't have to be reluctant or even afraid. I can face this. I mean, Jesus did, and he said, Father, as I walk through this, you will have glory. Verse 27, now my heart is troubled. He's being real honest. I got to face all this stuff, the cross, everything before it. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What a philosophy of life. What an attitude as a Christian. No. It was for this very cause, a reason I came to this hour, and so, Father, glorify your name. That's the attitude you need as a Christian, see? For us, that means if he faced it, God's word is telling you, you can face anything because his grace is there, and I've said this so many times, you, you've got to deal with this whole issue of grace being there. Grace is empowerment for any circumstance in life. It may be a situation you created. Or something that just happened to you. Or how about this? Somebody says to you, um, you've changed. You used to be so hopeful. And now you're so negative, man. You are so down on life. Man, have you changed, see? Or maybe they say, you know, I used to look to you as an example of how to act. When I didn't know how to act, I would look to you and you'd be an example to me. You've changed so much. Now you are so much a part of the world. And what do you say? Oh, that's their opinion. Nothing wrong with me. I haven't changed. So you know what that is? That's denial. Lots of people live in denial, and they say this isn't happening. Listen, folks, nothing goes away by itself. You've got to face it, and there's power 
and grace for that. And we say with Jesus, shall I run from this? Anybody saying today, shall I? I mean, you're troubled like Jesus. Anybody saying, shall I run from this? I mean, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a Christian. This is about your attitude toward being a Christian. How you see any given situation is how you're going to live it out. You look at stuff you don't want to face and you say, I'm not, I, I'm not going to live in denial like this. I won't live in denial. God wants me to face this. He'll walk me through it with his wisdom, and I will come out the winner. And you repeat John 12, 27. You say to yourself, Father, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. There's a reason for this. And Jesus walked through the whole thing, and he knew there would be victory. He looked beyond, and he knew there would be victory. Here's what Jesus knew. He faced this thing, and he knew the Father would take him through it. And he knew he would rise. He knew he would reign. He knew he would rule. He knew he would pay off our sin debt. He knew we'd be in heaven with him. And he knew that we, you and me, this is so tremendous, would would experience eternal fellowship with him forever. And he relished that. He walked through this thing. His Father empowered him. But man, he could see. He could see you and me. Us spending eternity with them forever, man. He saw all that, and it was all attitude. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.